Great city, thanks for taking care of him and keep him on his toes. Keep him growing. He needs a close whip. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, speak to our hearts. Challenge us to move from where we are to where it is you would have us be in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I titled today's message, um, Who's Standing in Front of You? What do you see when you look at another person? I can remember in grade school, first day of class, I'd look at all the guys in the classroom and I'd say, I can take him. I can take him. Not sure about him. I definitely can take him. I'm going to stay away from him. How do we sum people up? When the prophet Samuel in the Old Testament went to choose a new king for Israel, he assumed that the new king should look like the old king. So when God told him, go to Jesse's house and anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king, Samuel went and when Eliab, who was the first and oldest son of um, Jesse, came forward, the moment he saw Eliab, Eliab was tall and he was good looking. And Samuel said, surely this is the Lord's anointed standing before us. And he said it because the king Saul had stood a head taller than everybody else. And that was his distinguishing feature. So Samuel thought when he found someone that looked like Saul, this was the one. But the Lord said, this is not the one. The Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Samuel went through all of Jesse's sons, and they all passed in front of him, all seven of them. And Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Are you sure you don't have any more sons? Now, Jesse had already made up his mind that no way could his youngest son measure up to one day become a king. The best that he could see for David in the future was that his son might become a good shepherd. Yet when they finally stopped the proceedings and said, we're not going forward until we get David in here, David comes forward and the Lord says to Samuel, rise up and anoint him. My friends, David became one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. But how often do we reject the Lord's anointed because they don't look like the Lord's anointed the way we think? Has anybody ever looked at you and dismissed you outright because of the way you looked? I can remember when I was back in fourth grade, this was back in the 60s, at Bryant Elementary School in Hornell, New York. And I was the only black kid in the class, and I was new to the school, so I hadn't made any friends. And I remember during recess, we would go and we would play softball, and the captain, who was usually the most popular kid, would line us up in the order that we were to bat. And they would put what he thought was the good batters first and his friends next. And I was always at the end of the line. 
And by the time it came my turn to bat, guess what? Recess was over. I never got the chance to even try to hit the ball. And then one day at recess, there was a black fifth grader who moved to town. And his family must have been migrant workers because he wasn't at the school very long. But that black fifth grader, when it, when we were out for recess, he took me and he put me forth in the batting line. I still remember the pitch. I still remember swinging that bat. I still remember that ball going way over the center fielder's head. And all the kids looked at me with their mouths wide open. The other kids were shocked. You know what? Even after that black kid left, I never was put at the end of the line for baseball again. I learned that my ability did not have to be limited by what others saw when they looked at me. There is this amazing statement in the Bible made by Jesus that I think we often fail to understand. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Have you ever thought about why did Jesus choose you? What did Jesus see in you when he looked at you long before you gave your life to him? What does Jesus see when he looks at you today? Now, last week in Mark chapter 2, you guys looked at a man whose four friends had brought him to Jesus in order that he might be healed. The man had been unable to walk and he was paralyzed. And the man's friends, they looked at him and they saw a man who needed to be healed of paralysis. But Jesus looked at the same person and saw a man who needed to know that his sins had been forgiven. So Jesus' first announcement to the man was, son, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus' statement caused an uproar with the religious leaders because they considered Jesus' words blasphemy. They cried out, how dare Jesus claim to be able to forgive sins? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, Jesus then changed the nature of the discussion by saying to the man, take up your mat and go home. What did the man do? God was here. What did he do? He took up his mat and he went home in full view of everyone. Now, you could argue over whether or not Jesus had forgiven the man's sins, but you couldn't over argue over whether or not the man had healed. People were amazed at this and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Jesus saw something in that man That most people did not see. You know, it would have been interesting had Mark told us what happened to this man after this healing took place, but he doesn't. But I doubt very seriously if that man went back to the life he had known before he ran into Jesus. 
After this event, the scripture tells us in Mark 2.13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Now, no doubt, the sea that we're talking about here is the Sea of Galilee. And I want us to recognize that Jesus had no problem preaching and teaching in different venues. He sometimes taught in the synagogue buildings. He taught on the seashore. He taught in houses. He taught in boats. He taught on mountainsides. You know, it's interesting today that churches sometimes advertise, come dressed as you are, and they think they've discovered something new. Jesus was telling people, come dressed as you are 2,000 years ago because you never knew where he was going to be preaching next. Well, after the teaching session was over, Jesus started to take a walk. And he approaches this high elevated stand which could easily be seen from different directions. Kind of like what I am up here on right now. And, and it was intentional that it was elevated because it was the tax collector's booth. And if you were trading, doing business on the lake or passing through the area or selling something, you were to go and pay your sales tax or your property tax at the tax collector's booth. And the city of Capernaum was a custom post for the Romans. So the tax booth was also the local Roman internal revenue service where you went to pay your taxes or the local Cuyahoga County Board where you went to pay your property taxes. Rome knew that the best way to collect taxes in their many different provinces was best done by the locals who knew the people. So tax collectors were hired through a bidding process. Whoever promised Rome to bring in the most money would get the job. And tax collectors were supposed to get a commission out of the tax that they collected. However, many tax collectors chose to choose the people whatever they wanted to choose them. And, I mean, charge them and whatever they could get away with. So the Jewish people saw Rome as an occupying nation, and they resented paying taxes to Rome. They resented anybody that worked for the Romans. Now, on the other side, if you were Jewish, being a tax collector could be a very lucrative job and lead to a whole lot of wealth. After all, you got to determine the size of your own paycheck. How many of you would like that? How much would you like to make this year? Well, I guess a half a million would do. But if you pursued your dream, you would be giving up part of your cultural heritage and your family and your friends. You see, you would be excommunicated from the synagogue so you you wouldn't be welcome to come in and learn. You would be shamed by your family and by your friends. You were considered a person who valued money over reputation, respectability, and purity before God. You were seen as a traitor to your own people who had to pay these high taxes to Rome. Now, Jesus, as he was passing by, he probably had passed by this elevated booth many times since he had made Capernaum his home base of operation. He may have even paid taxes at this booth himself. The word of who Jesus was and what he had done had spread all over the area 
by word of mouth. Keep in mind that when John the Baptist had arrived on the scene, he had already spread word about the coming of Jesus. And Luke's gospel tells us that many tax collectors had come to John to be baptized, and they had even asked John, well, what should we do when John told them to repent? And he t- John told them, don't collect any more than you are required to collect in taxes. In other words, you need to stop cheating people. So there is a knowledge about Jesus among tax collectors. And Levi was a tax collector at this tax collector station in Capernaum. And no doubt there were Roman soldiers there with Levi because somebody had to protect all this money that was being collected from taxes as it piled up. And Levi had to keep excellent records and accounts of who had paid their taxes and who had not. And on this particular day, Levi probably got up and went to work thinking, man, it's going to be just another day of headaches. People are going to be trying to bargain me to lower the price of the taxes. People are going to be accusing me of overcharging them. And then I got to listen to these sob stories about I'm going to pay you next week because my wife was sick and the kids dropped out of school. And <laughs> Even though the job paid well, It had its share of headaches, just like all other jobs do. So there was Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. He had no doubt heard about Jesus and probably had seen Jesus as Jesus passed up and down the lake. Now imagine Levi's surprise when he's sitting there and he's finishing up this last transaction and he says, Next! And he looks up. And there is Jesus of Nazareth, the guy who just a few days earlier had healed a man and forgiven his sins. How do you think Levi felt face to face with Jesus? What do you think he might have wanted to say to Jesus? You know, if Jesus walked up to you and you were doing something you should be ashamed of, what would be your reaction if you looked up and you saw his face and you knew it was him? Jesus didn't say to Levi, how dare you cheat people? How dare you turn your back on your family and friends? How dare you continue in this lifestyle? You know, when Jesus sees us in a place we ought not to be, any of you ever been in a place you ought not to be? Jesus doesn't try to make us feel guilty, embarrassed, humiliated, or ashamed. He looks at us with eyes of compassion, with the view to the future of what we can become in him. Some of us know we are where we should not be, but we don't know how to leave it. And the answer is found in Jesus' words to Levi. Jesus breaks the ice as Levi looks at him speechless. Jesus simply says, follow me. And Jesus uses a Greek tense of the verb follow which lets Levi know 
Jesus isn't issuing him an invitation to consider weighing his options. Jesus isn't saying, look, Levi, I know things are not working out like you planned, so when you close up shop tonight, check me out at Peter's house on Main Street. Here's my card. Stop by and we can discuss this. No, Jesus uses a tense of the verb that is a command to do something. It's like when a person is drowning and you're there and you throw out a lifeline to the person. You say, grab the lifeline. You are not offering the lifeline as a suggestion to be considered by the person drowning. You are offering them the only way out of their predicament. You want them to do it and you want them to do it when? Now. Levi understood exactly what Jesus was saying. He knew that Jesus was asking for a commitment that would require him to leave his place of security, leave his dream for more wealth, and leave behind a lifestyle that wasn't doing for him what he thought was going to do for him. My friends, I want us to know, we can't take everything with us if we choose to follow Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ makes some strong demands upon our lives. But we have to remember the price Jesus paid to offer us what he's offering us. The hope that Jesus gives us cost him his life. Levi did not try to bargain with Jesus over the conditions needed to follow him. The scripture says that Levi got up and followed him. Levi realized that Jesus was not inviting him. Jesus was calling him. Jesus was choosing him. You know, when we come to the end of our lives and at our funeral, how many of us would like for somebody to to say at our funeral, you know what made the difference in his life? You know what made the difference in her life? I'll tell you what it was. They got up and followed Jesus. What circumstances do you have in your life right now in which you know you just need to get up and follow Jesus to get out of it? Don't make excuses. Don't try blaming anyone. Just do what Levi did, which said he got up and followed Jesus. You see, Jesus has a calling on your life for a purpose you may not understand. Do you know what Levi is actually doing? He's turning his back on the Roman government. Could he get in trouble for that? Probably. He's losing the protection of the Roman guards against people who wanted to beat the living daylights out of him because they thought they had gotten cheated. Could that be dangerous? Probably. He's leaving without giving a two weeks notice. Could that help him on his, hurt him on his resume for his next job? Very likely. Jesus didn't tell Levi where he was going. Could he be giving up the comfortable lifestyle he's had? Most definitely. My friends, Jesus never said if we follow him, We will get all our hopes and our dreams in a nice package. Jesus simply said, follow me. 
And the first place Jesus took Levi was to Levi's own house. Levi put on a dinner at his house and he invited all these other tax collectors and sinners to come to the dinner. And here Jesus is with his disciples eating with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. And no doubt you know how we gossip and how we spread rumors. Somebody put it on Facebook real quick. Jesus has sold out to the Romans and decided to become a tax collector. And word just spread like wildfire. Word got out so fast that even people who weren't invited to the party showed up at the party. The Pharisees came down to see for themselves if this was true. You see, some of the Pharisees had no doubt wanted to give Jesus the benefit of the doubt. And some of them actually believed in Jesus. But but if this story was actually true, if he's actually being seen eating with tax collectors and sinners, then he could not be from God. But what's really going on here? Jesus is smart. Jesus knows that Levi could get a group of people together that were not going to go to the synagogue, that were not going to show up at the lake, that were not going to show up at the mountainside to hear him preach. But they would come to a tax collector's house for a free dinner. Levi brought Jesus an audience of people so that they could see for themselves the truth they had heard about Jesus. And Jesus had the opportunity to preach to this group because they had to wait till he finished to eat. They could see that Jesus came offering hope and life to all people, regardless of their background or what they were caught up in. Jesus was not ashamed to be seen with them because he saw them for what they could be in God. You see, when the Pharisees arrived on the scene uninvited, they wanted to know from Jesus' disciples, how on earth could Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the Pharisees saw the people for who they were at the moment. Say at the moment. Jesus is always looking at people for whom they can become in him. The Pharisees looked at Levi, son of Alphaeus, as nothing more than a greedy tax collector. Jesus looked at the same son of Alphaeus, and Jesus saw one of the twelve apostles. Jesus saw one of the foundations of the church. Jesus saw a person who would write a detailed account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of Matthew. You see, when Levi got up and followed Jesus, he was beginning a journey that would be touching lives 2,000 years later through his detailed account of Matthew's Gospel. The only reason we get to read the Gospel of Matthew is because Levi got up and followed Jesus. You see, your life counts for more than you think in the kingdom of God. God knows exactly what he was doing when he created you. Everything God created, God created for a purpose beyond the thing itself. 
Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he chose you. He chose you for a reason. But his call on our lives is not a one-time event. It comes to us on a daily basis. The answer that was given to the Pharisees on why Jesus was involved with the people he was involved with was given by Jesus himself when Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, one of the tragic mistakes that many believers make is the idea that once I've given my life to Christ, I have now become righteous. Now, yes, you are righteous in the sense that you stand blameless before God. So if you were to die today, you would not have to give an account for your sins because the blood of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Christ, has you covered. But the righteousness of Christ needs to be applied to our lives daily if we are to stay healthy believers. Jesus is in contact most with those of us who realize we are still sick and in need of the grace of God. It's amazing how the last person to realize we are sick spiritually is ourselves. We are good at deceiving ourselves. We will make all kinds of excuses for our behaviors that are not Christ-like and for those areas that we still have not surrendered and submitted to the authority of Christ. You see, we may see ourselves as walking tall in the Lord when Christ sees that we need to humble ourselves and either apologize or to ask others for their forgiveness. And sometimes Christ sees that we simply need to repent. It's not an easy thing to be a Levi who simply gets up and follows Jesus. But before Jesus died on the cross and was raised three days later, Jesus promised to give us the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job not only to show us when we are wrong, but to give us the strength to overcome our sins, to overcome our weaknesses. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is being made available to raise us from our situations. You know, when you look in the mirror, check and see what you are becoming. Are you becoming more of what God wants you to be? And what's the check? It's the fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of us are willing to put these things on a list and take them to our husband or to our wife or to our children or to our parents and say, would you give me a grade on A to F on how I'm doing on each one of these fruits? How many of you would discover real quick when you got that sheet back? There's some areas you still need to work on. We are so eager to do great things for Christ out there. Christ wants us to do great things for him right in our homes where we live. Because if Jesus is not real in our homes, in our situations where we're living, we're kidding ourselves 
on having a great impact on this world. You know, men, sometimes we can say things and we don't realize they come out as harsh and heavy. And we need to repent. And women, sometimes you guys come out and you can say things with an attitude like a knife. So one of us has a sledgehammer and the other one has a... But the result is the same. Causing one another hurt and pain. Okay, it's in those situations that we need to get up and follow Jesus. You know, I won't even ask y'all how many of y'all had a fight this morning on the way to church. <laughs> the good thing about Jesus is Jesus already sees all these fruits at work in us. That's why the scripture says for us to work out our own salvation. Pastor Toby and I, we have this saying in our marriage that a bad day doesn't have to turn out into a bad evening. You can change. I heard John Maxwell quote that a little bit differently, saying, you are under no obligation to be the same person you were five minutes ago. How many of you know Jesus can do a great work in just five minutes if we choose to get up and follow Jesus? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are great and an awesome God. We thank you that you created each one of us for a purpose. We thank you for the call of Jesus upon our lives. God, Lord, you chose us for a reason. Help us to desire you more than anything else. Just like Levi got up and followed you. When we find ourselves off kilter, off the road, doing something we ought not to do. Let's not wallow there, oh God, but help us to simply get up and follow Jesus. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst today. Continue to work in each and every heart that not a single one of us go out of here the same way we came in. And God, for those of us who came in the doors and our Hearts were not what they should have been with each other. Let us forgive each other and follow Jesus. In his name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, Pastor Rick, for preaching such a wonderful message to our hearts today. Let the record show that he was preaching what women should do and not me. Amen. 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 Well, family, today is the first Sunday in February, which is Black History Month. And in the month of Black History Month, we celebrate the stories and the narrative 